0: Words fill a page, pages fill a chapter, chapters fill a book. Everyone has a story. Some have a story they are proud of telling. Others will have stories they would rather not tell. Every decision, big or small, writes the story of your life. We all have portions of our story that are still unwritten, but one day, you'll be able to tell a story from this season of your life and see the hand of the author as you turn the pages. Let God write your story, and you'll live one worth telling. My story, living the story you want to tell. Well, good morning. My name is Nathan McMillan, and I'm the worship pastor here, and I'm so excited to be sharing with you all this morning on Father's Day. And uh, unless you've been living under a rock here in St. Louis for the last couple days, uh, you may recognize or you may realize that um, Sunday there was something pretty horrible that happened. Um, I got a corn of caramel corn kernel just stuck in the back of uh, one of my teeth. And it was really painful. Um, But then Wednesday... Wednesday, I got it out. And so there was much celebration. (laughs) Thanks, I I really worked at that. Um, You may also be aware that the St. Louis Blues brought home the Stanley Cup for the first time. Yeah. Now, I happen to know somebody on the inside of the Blues organization, and we were supposed to have Lord Stanley's Cup right here. Evidently, it's in Vegas, so uh, apologies for that. But I, I have to ask you, how many of you had faith after Sunday night? How many of you had faith that the blues would pull through? Woo! Yeah, there's, there's some diehard people out here. It was hard to believe that it could happen, and yet it has happened. And this morning, we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna talk about the story of one of the most influential people in all of religion, someone whose story spans not only Judaism, but Islam and Christianity, and that is Abraham. Abraham has an amazing story of faith, and I believe we can learn a lot from his life and the impact that he had. Uh, To help remember that impact, though, I need for you all to stand up with me for a moment, and I need you to join me in just a a quick exercise. Some of you may know this, and if you uh, do, we are going to jump to the end for brevity. But here we go. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head, turn around, sit down. Sit down. Sit down. All right. I'm really proud of you all. As your worship pastor, that was pretty amazing. Now that the blood is pumping a little bit, let's dive into the story of Abraham and you can find the story on the Uversion app, or you can go to efree.org Bible, and we'll be looking at Genesis 12, 15, and 22. So before we get into this, I want you to, to recognize that there is, there is a difference between faith and obedience. And we're going to talk about God's call and God's promise in Abraham's life. So in Genesis 12, 1, it reads... The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. And in Genesis 15, it reads, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous. Righteous because of his faith. There's something important in this, is that God's call was active. He was active in the invitation of Abram. And it reads in the original Hebrew language that while God was in the act of inviting or calling Abram, that he got up and left. Now, this is pretty huge because how many of us, when we're asked to do something, have some sort of qualifying question that we need to ask. I know I'm that way, I need to know all the data, I have to have all the answers before I wanna get up and I wanna move. We wanna know what to expect. And I know that I'm always looking to understand more by asking more questions. And I think we forget that this was gonna be no easy feat for Abram. We, we have this tendency to think that it was Abram, his wife, some goats and some donkeys. But the reality was Abram was a wealthy man. We were talking about his entire household. And he did not question God in that moment. You see, for Abram, obedience was greater than knowing all the details. And so while God was actively inviting, Abram was actively leaving. So next, I want to talk about delayed obedience. And as someone who has kids, and as someone who was even a kid once, believe it or not, I can relate to what I call delayed obedience. I know that if I ask my kids to do something, for example, to come down for dinner, they may wait, and they may wait, and they may wait, and then they may come down. And that may seem like they've been obedient, but the delayed obedience is disobedience. And so what we see from Abram's example is right here in a right now kind of faith that leads to action. Lastly, God's promises are fulfilled beyond today and they impact future generations. We can often forget that God did not fulfill his promise to Abram overnight. God had made a covenant with Abram. In a promise that was made and then fulfilled over two decades. And with that fulfillment comes a new identity. Abram was exalted father. He's now known as Abraham, father of many nations. And Sarah, his wife, princess, is now called Sarah, my princess. And she's told that she will be the mother of nations. In all this, Abram's got a lot going against him too. <laughs> He and Sarah are both really old when they are made this promise, made this covenant. Abram's a liar. He's lied multiple times to save his own skin. And he and Sarah both <laughs> laughed at God when they are told that they would conceive a son. And yet, God still provides. Later, Abraham would face another decision to choose to obey through faith or to hold tightly to the gift he had been given. And the promise that he had seen fulfilled through Isaac. And in Hebrews 11:17 through 19, it shows us three aspects of Abraham's obedience, fueled by his faith in the greatest trial he would ever face. So in Hebrews 11:17 it reads, "By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now, this story can make us want to question God's character. How could a loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? And some would want to criticize the story and dismiss it on the grounds that it is some sort of caricature of the God of the Bible. But I believe that the only reply to this is that we, As finite human beings with finite minds are not in a position to question the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. So God's character does not contradict his promises. So let's be clear on that. And the second problem here is that is more or less related to the first because we all feel the problem of God asking Abraham To sacrifice his son. And there is an unconscious tendency to want to read this story backwards. So we start with the fact that Abraham ended up not having to sacrifice Isaac. And we say, see, God never wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in the first place. And although that statement is true on one level, we risk missing the meaning of the text if we go too far down that road. And whatever else we may say, it is unquestionably true that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And in Genesis 22, it tells us what's at stake. It says, Some time later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, it would have been enough if God had simply just said, take your son. But he qualified it. What he asked in three ways. He says, your son, your only son, the the son whom Abraham and Sarah had waited for 25 years, the son whom you love, which that might seem as though God were mocking him, but I believe these words were meant to reassure him that God knew what he was asking. And by saying it that way, Abraham would know that God understood what it would cost him to obey. You know, God's kindness is on display in this text, and it's on display even when we cannot see it. So let us be really clear what God is asking at this point. He wanted Abraham to travel with his son Isaac to the mountain and build an altar of stones. He would then make a platform of wood on the stones, and then Abraham was asked to have Isaac lie down on the wood. Then he would sacrifice Isaac just like he would a sacrificial lamb, and then offer him as a burnt offering. This is what God told Abraham to do. Again, Abraham has a choice. He can choose to delay, choose to question, but either you obey or you don't. If you stop to argue, then that in itself is a form of disobedience. If you try to talk God out of it, that is a form of disobedience. If you offer an alternate plan, that is also disobedience. And in Hebrews eleven eighteen, it reads, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And at this point, the writer wants us to think about what's at stake. We naturally want to focus on the unimaginable loss and sorrow of losing a child. And to any parent, that alone would be an unspeakable tragedy. Nothing in all the world seems more unnatural than for parents to bury their children. And the death of a child is like a period before the end of a sentence. And in this case, God told Abraham to offer his own son, and Abraham was fully prepared to do it. So prepared, in fact, that Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 that we just read actually said that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, meaning that when he laid his son on the altar and raised the knife, he fully intended to put him to death. And naturally, our minds focus on that aspect because it is so poignant and it's personal and and some of us remember pictures of seeing Abraham and Isaac and an angel stopping Abraham with a knife in hand. But the writer wants us to think of something else here. God had already promised to make Abraham the head of a great nation. And through that nation to bring great blessing to the world. And God had said that he would bring forth that nation from Isaac's descendants. But that couldn't happen if Isaac, who was only a teenager, was dead. And so here we are faced with what seems to be an enormous contradiction of God's character with God's promise. But faith believes and leaves the how in the hands of God. God commanded him to offer his son Isaac. And God promised to bring forth offspring through Isaac. So the promise and the command obviously seem to contradict each other. And if Abraham obeys the command, does that not cancel the promise since Isaac will be dead? But if he disobeys the command, what happens to the promise? But here's the shining, amazing, beyond this world character of Abraham's faith and his remarkable obedience. He did not know how God would do it. He just knew that God would provide because that was God's character. So here's a lesson for all of us in this. When God makes a promise, it's foolish to wonder how he will keep his word. Faith does not reckon with the how. Faith believes and leaves the how in the hands of an almighty God. And if we spend too much time trying to figure out how, God will take care of us. We're likely to talk ourselves into a corner and be disobedient in our delayed obedience. Now, we can view this in hindsight and being able to read the back of the book, but remember that Abraham had no idea what was about to happen when he and Isaac started on the three-day journey to the mountain. He set out to obey God, knowing the one who had called him to offer his beloved son would somehow solve the how question in his own way. And there are times in life when our only job is to take the next step. We aren't called to figure out the big picture or to explain where it will lead. God says go, and we go. God says stop, and we stop. He says, give me your dearest possession, and we offer it to him. This is the true life of obedience fueled by faith. And so in Hebrews 11, 19 It reads, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, God's character does not contradict his promises. God's kindness is on display even when we cannot see it, and God provides. In this verse, we learn something that is only hinted at in Genesis 22 twice in that chapter Abraham intimates that he expects that somehow some way God was going to work things out so that Isaac would live. And when he saw the mountain in the distance, he gave this instruction to his servants. In Genesis 22:5 he says, "Stay here with the donkey while I go and the boy, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you." We Will come back to you. Not I will come back, but we will come back. Abraham believed that he and his son would somehow return together. And then, as the two of them walked along with Isaac carrying the wood for the fire, he asked Abraham, Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's reply has become synonymous for the man of faith speaking faith into what is a humanly hopeless situation. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see, faith believes, obedience acts, and we leave the how in the hands of God. I mean, can you imagine this? Just for a moment, the writer of Hebrews tells us why Abraham could talk like that. He believed that God could raise the dead. He didn't know how. He'd never seen it happen before, but Abraham believed that he and his son would somehow return together. He reasoned from what he knew about God's character to what he knew about the situation. And the only thing he could come up with is, I'm going to put my own son to death, and then God will raise him from the dead. That's pretty fantastic if you think about it, especially since no one in history had ever been raised from the dead. And this happened 2,000 years before Christ. But now we can stand back and we can see the story in clear perspective. Did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Yes. Did Abraham know in advance how the story would end? No. Specifically, did he know how God would provide with a ram in the thicket? No, and well then, what was it that Abraham knew? He knew what God had asked him to do, and he knew what God had promised to give him a son through whom the world would be blessed. What he didn't know was how God was going to reconcile his promise to bless the world through Isaac and his command to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Happy Father's Day, right? It is at this point that we see Abraham's obedience fueled by faith at its highest and its best. And even though the command made no sense from a human point of view, Abraham intended to obey it anyway. And he meant to obey God's command, even though it meant killing God's promise. So how could a man do such a thing? Because he believed that God could raise the dead. And it's in Genesis 22 that we see what a man would do for the love of God. But it's in the core of the Gospels that we see what God would do for the love of man. Abraham offered his son. God the Father offered his son. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried the cross. Isaac was laid on the altar. Jesus was nailed on a cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death. The father willed that the son should die. The ram was offered in the place of Isaac, and Christ was offered in the place of sinners. Abraham received his son back figuratively. Jesus literally rose from the dead. So what do we take away from these stories of obedience? Well, I believe that God leads us up to the mountain again and again and again, and we are asked to sacrifice the dearest and best in life. And often these things are good, often these things are great, but they aren't better than the one who gives them to us. Now, throughout this series, we've been sharing personal stories from folks and Uh, I have had the distinct honor to be a preacher's kid for the majority of my life. And it is Father's Day, and I know that my mom and dad are watching this from Florida right now, so happy Father's Day, Dad. And uh, throughout my entire life, I was used as sermon illustrations, and I got paid five bucks every single time. (laughs) Well, today it's my turn. I get to use my dad as a sermon illustration. We are not accounting for inflation, so $5 is still going to be sitting on the nightstand when they come and visit us later this week. But the story about my dad, if I could sum it up in one word, it's obedience. Here was a man who had created a career for himself as a medical professional, he was Here in this area, uh, he and my mom were both born and raised just over the river in Illinois. Married as high school sweethearts, celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary earlier this month. And he was the chief radiologist for one of the more prominent hospitals here in town. And at the age of 35, he felt God calling him into ministry. So that meant leaving everything that he had. A career that he'd built for himself. It meant leaving his identity. It meant leaving his security. It meant leaving his family. And for those that knew him well, this did not make sense. It seemed to contradict what God was leading him to up to this point. And even though it cost him nearly everything, his desire to be obedient to what God had called him to was something that could not be matched. And for me, in my own life, at the age of 39, I left a career that I had established for myself of nearly 20 years. I felt like I had it made. Man, I had the corner office with the view. I could sit back, take it easy if I wanted to, honestly, not really have to work for the things that I had established for myself up to this point. There was a lot of safety, there was a lot of security, there was a lot of identity that I had in my title and what I did. And at the age of 39, I remember standing on the shoreline of the Atlantic Ocean, and I remember watching the waves roll out, and I remember watching the waves roll back in. And there was a faithfulness to these waves. They always came back. And I remember having the conversation with my wife that day. I don't know what God's doing in our hearts, but I don't want the safety and the security and the identity of the things that I think make me who I am to be the things that keep me from the safety and the security and the comfort and the knowledge of the identity of who I am in Christ. Shortly after that, we got a phone call from a friend seemingly out of the blue, with an opportunity to leave the marketplace and go into ministry. And so that was five years ago and that was a scary moment to put to test these these things that we had been talking about, this safety, this security, this identity. And much like Abraham, this happened in October and we were gone from Florida to Colorado in a matter of two months. We packed up our household, we left. And then Coming here as your worship pastor, this has been an amazing journey for us. And I know many of you know that I'm going to be stepping down from this role in the, in the coming months. And this is something that has been a pure joy. For, it's been challenging. It's been a pure joy for, for us to serve in this way. And being your worship pastor wasn't bad or evil or wrong. It was a fantastic thing but I have to ask myself too, is that too important to me? So I pause to consider this sentence. An idol is anything good that becomes too important to you. Now we tend to associate idols with statues made of gold or silver or wood or stone, but an idol doesn't need to be a statue. An idol can be anything good, our children, our reputation, Our money, our home, our position, our education, our cars, the people we know, the degrees we earned, the money we made, the deals we closed, the classes we taught, the friends we cultivated in high places, buildings built, organizations managed, budgets balanced, books written, songs sung. All those things that make us feel comfortable and safe And give us status in the world can be idols. Could your spouse be an idol? Absolutely. Your family, your children, your money, your ministry, your career. Anything wrong with being married or having a family or raising children, making money, having a career, getting an education, having a ministry, making your way in the world, and even having something to show for it? Absolutely not. It's all good. And anything good can become an idol. And that's the real challenge of the story is that Abraham had come to this place where he willingly gave back to God what was already God's in the first place. So hold lightly what you value greatly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. You see, we come into this life with nothing and we are going to leave with nothing. But it's in between that God fills our hands with good things. And then he asks us to give them back to him so that we can walk in obedience with him. Now this is a process for me because when I have the courage to open my hand and let go in the evening, I get up the next morning and I want to try and grab it back again. (laughs) I had a dear friend once told me that once you lay your offering on the altar, don't pick it back up. It's God's now and it always has been. And it seems to be a lesson that we all have to learn over and over and over again. And in God, God in his kindness keeps bringing us back to the mountain, back to the place of sacrifice, back to the place where we offer to God our dearest and our best and we say Lord, It all belongs to you anyway. Note that I said God in his kindness because it is the kindness of God that led Abraham to the mountain. And it is the the kindness of God that leads us back to this place of sacrifice where we yield up to him our dreams, our desires, our plans, our hopes, the things we own, our friends and our family. And finally, we give to him the life that he gave us in the beginning. You see, obedience does cost us something. It cost my dad quite a bit. I can say even in the last few months, it's, it's cost us hospitalizations and medical bills and job losses and financial hardships. But it's not about what's here and right now. It is the kindness of God is on display in the story and it's the kindness of God is on display in my story and in your story and when we are struggling with God and trying so desperately to hold on to those things that we value so much it may not feel like God's kindness but it is he knows better than we do that as long as we hold on good things become idols to us and any idol especially the good ones those things that are not wrong in and of themselves, the gifts God has given become too important to us. And they come between us and God who loves us supremely and wants only the best for us. So when we finally have the courage to let go, when, when we stop trying to desperately hold on, and when we open our hands to God, when we hold lightly those things that we value greatly, and we give back to him what was his anyway, then and only then are we truly free. You see, you can keep the world for the moment, but you will have to give it up in the end. And so here's the deal. Faith, the faith that we have in the grace of God leads us to salvation. It's free. But the obedience we step into, the discipleship that we take on because we obey what God commands of us, it costs us everything we think we have. But it will give us abundantly more in our relationship with God. Now, many of us have chosen to trust God with our eternity, but have we really trusted God with our right here and our right now lives? You see, it's through faith that God does the seemingly impossible. It's through obedience that God does the immeasurable. And faith, faith fuels obedience. It's important to remember that Abraham never possesses the land that God promises during his lifetime. And he never sees the breadth of his descendants as stars in the sky before he dies, but his obedience had an exponential impact, and so it is with us. We may never see the impact that our obedience has. We may never realize it in our day, but a life wholly devoted and obedient to God will have an exponential impact beyond what we could possibly imagine. In a little bit here, the worship team is going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in a new song, and it's titled Build My Life, and some of the lyrics of this song are this, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. So ask yourself this week, do I love the gifts, do I love the identity, the passions, the possessions, the relationships that I have been given more than I love the giver of those gifts? Do I love the promises more than the promise maker and promise keeper? And are you willing to place everything on the altar of obedience? Knowing that God always, God always has something better, and that He always starts, finishes what He starts. So it's through faith that God will do the seemingly impossible. It's through our obedience to Him that He does the immeasurable, and it's our faith that fuels that obedience. You pray with me? God, we are so grateful for your love, a love that we can build our lives on that firm foundation. We're grateful for your grace and your mercy. And God, we're grateful for your kindness, a kindness that leads us continually to the mountain to give back to you what is already yours. God, I pray that in the weeks to come that we would truly hold lightly the things that we value so greatly. I pray through our obedience to you that, God, you would do the immeasurable things that have impact long after our days. And I pray that you get all the glory. For it's in your name we pray.